welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. Hey fam, what is good? Happy Monday. Welcome back to Value at Value. Um, this episode is very, very special to us because we have our most spoken with guest, Gary Gray Jr., back on the podcast. We've been trying to link this up for quite a while, but the time of COVID has been crazy for him, he and his wife. Um, uh, they're both Canadian, so they were back in Canada for quite a while, having to teach uh, on the schedule of the Philippines from Canada, and they've just gotten back recently in the last couple of months, so it took us a while to link up. But we just talked about his experience teaching this year, um, and in the two parts of this uh, podcast, we get into how um, he's dealt with this year and um, his experience just around the political culture of the U.S. and how it's affecting the global kind of consciousness. So we're so thrilled to have him on, so happy to call him a friend. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Part two will be out on Friday. Um, and then we've got a special little thing coming for you Wednesday this week that we um, just recorded that um, is important to us that we want to get out right away. So um, we love you. Hope you have a great Monday and uh, enjoy this episode. Hey, man, can you hear me? Uh, yes, just one second. This one, try again. Can you hear me? Ah, there we go. Now I need to just give me one second. It's so nice to see you guys. Hey, yeah. there he is. What is up? What is up? What is up? Oh, man. God, Look Way at that! Look at that hair and that goatee. That is fresh, dude. Just letting it go, letting it go, buddy. <laughs> oh man! I can honestly say I'm a little jealous over here. Oh, I can say I'm a little jealous. <laughs> um, I, 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 I wish I had that type of hair on top of my head to grow it. I would most definitely do it. My kid, I told one of my kids that my students were like. Mr. Law, you had hair? So I brought in a picture from when I graduated and I had like the ramp, you know, with my hair, you know, straight up and going up like that. And they were like, oh. I'm like, hey man, you know, this is just new. I mean, well not new, but this is this is life when you lose it, it all. Is. So it is. a little hairy envy going on over here, man. Uh, so <laughs> I, but you're I looking always, good, man. Hey, looking nah, good. Likewise, all of you guys, like it's nice to finally catch up. I know it's been a while. Um, I'm curious how you guys are doing too. Man, I gotta say, like, and Will and I have been talking about this like quite a bit. Like, I had a little bit of guilt for saying that I had like a pretty darn good year. Like, the pandemic didn't hit me super hard. I mean, I've had a few close friends that have had COVID, but no one no one really got sick. Even, even my wife's aunt who we were really worried about got it and it wasn't bad for her. And, 
you know man like we moved into a new house i got married like i've been teaching from home and and rocking and rolling so like honestly man it, like i'm i'm doing really well good good how about you man you know me um i have to, I, my wife and i were just talking about this on the way from the store i was like you know everybody's in a rush to get out of 2020 saying oh my god 2020 needs to go let's burn it i say but I can't say 2020 has been all bad. You know, I didn't lose my job. I was still able to work. I got to spend some amazing time with my wife and my daughter that that's probably unprecedented. You know, in my daughter's 14 year history, I don't think we've spent as much time together collectively as we did from March until now, you know, until August. So it's been great, you know, we had a couple of scares with people close to us uh, catching COVID. A couple of friends of mine's friends, you know, family members ended up catching COVID. I think no one super close to me. Um, I had a cousin who passed who I knew from COVID, um, but it was complications from COVID because she had lupus. Um, but we were not like that close. Like we hadn't talked in years, so it wasn't, you know, it's a loss, but it wasn't, it didn't, wasn't devastating. Um, you know, it's just been, man, I, I can't complain about it, man. It's, I'm loving life and I'm loving being able to be with my family and got to see this guy stand next to this guy here when he got married, which was super dope. Uh, it was my very first time in my whole life, uh, being a best man. Awesome. Like I'd never been a best man before. And so... (laughs) To be the best man was just like oh, I would have never. I would have never. I would have figured that between your brothers and all your college friends and man, I'm you awesome. gotta remember, my brother got married when I was so young, oh. and you know his 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 groomsmen and best men were his his close friends at the time. Um, like I said, I've been groomsmen, but I've never been yeah. best man. You know, awesome. like That's that awesome. guy. Yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> man! How's that feel? How's the marriage feel anyway? Uh, it feels good. It feels good, man. And it's just like, um, you know, we've been married going almost two months now, and it just, you know, it was such a fun day. I got to see like Will and I. You know, I had been planning we were gonna do like a good little summer retreat and work, and obviously that didn't happen. So I hadn't seen. Um, I hadn't seen him. I had some friends from across the country that came. It was just a great day. But I mean, the a week after, if we would have tried to have our wedding two weeks after we did, we wouldn't have been able to have a reception at all. So we got it in like right at right at that kind of peak time um, to have it. So it was great. But uh, man, how are you? How was your How's your lady? How's things? I mean, God, I'd love to hear your story, man. Of how long did you guys spend in Canada? Uh, it was like, man, we were in Canada for such a long time. I want to say we went during, I think I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it was, I want to say April-ish, maybe, just before the end of the year. I think there was like three weeks left. And... God, we must have quarantined like five times, it felt like. We went to Toronto first, we were in Toronto for like three weeks for school. And then we're like, what do we do? Like, we're supposed to go back. School's opening up. Um, we're not opening up. They want us to just come back. Um, and then we went to Nova Scotia. So we quarantined again in Nova Scotia. And then 
whatever happened, what happened, we, I think we decided that we were going to not delay, but we just weren't ready to go just because of certain situations. And we were in Nova Scotia for like till October. And then we were online, we were waking up at like, not even waking up, we were starting class at like, I think it was <laughs> eight o'clock, 8.30 p.m. And then staying up until, like my last class was like 2.30 in my wife's last class because she teaches eighth grade. Um, was that like sometimes four thirty five o'clock in the morning? So we're basically living like these two very strange lives. And for me, I'm like such a morning person. Like I was like I literally would go to bed and I'd wake up at like nine thirty, just because my body's like so programmed to get up in the morning, go for a run, go for a walk. So like you're basically running on fumes for like X month, like throughout from Monday to Friday. And then the weekends are just like, you have nothing left because your body just doesn't know what's happening. Um, and then the end of October, we were back. And expectations of the school is like, you have to be in school teaching. Um, we won't talk a lot about that, but like, there's no kids in school. So right. I just let you guys and everybody else think about how you feel about that. But it was just a weird, Kind of transition um and we've been here since and we're lucky like we've been able to pick up where we left off in regards to being online um, family's relatively okay like we had some like our, so many ups and downs throughout the summer um, um the passing of my um wife's grandmother but not because of covid just like being older after age um, but it's been like god summer's been crazy man so so much has happened, um, but at the same time, very blessed to just be still here um, and be relatively safe in regards to like the COVID situation. Um, is it? Is it? Well, obviously, I mean, I'd have a hard time believing that it couldn't that it could possibly be worse than the United States because the United States yeah. seems to be the worst place in the world. But what's the general yeah. situation where you are? You know, it's funny because I think it is, it's doing better than the States just based on numbers. Um, I know that through the holiday right now, there's less, like a lot less cases. And I think it's partially because people just aren't being tested right now um, just because it's the holiday, but it's safe. Like I feel for the most part, like they're doing everything they can to make sure people are following the rules. Um, there's been a lot of stuff on the news too. Like, how do I say this? Like, there's a lot of rules that are being implemented that are a little bit scary. Um, there's situations where I think it's it's hard because like we're in a place of like privilege where we can go out and do a lot of different things. Um, there's malls and stores, et cetera, restaurants that are open. But right now kids are not allowed like out like at all. Like they cannot leave their house, which really? is like the, yeah, yeah, so like that kids. So that in itself is kind of like just very strange to me um, and so many problems with that idea. But adults, animals are allowed out and walking around and doing whatever they need to. So that's one incident, one, one rule that's been implemented that I just don't really know why. Um, but all things considering, again, we are safe, we are able to 
to kind of do what we need to 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 live and I guess some be happy because you know we're lucky we're extremely lucky to to be able to wake up and go for a run go to the grocery store go to a restaurant if we want to um, and a lot of people here cannot do that um, at all they're just, just having a hard time getting food on the table right um, it's just it's really it really wakes you up like every every week or every month there's like a, a natural disaster right and there's relief funds for tsunamis like or hurricanes like it's just crazy to think that on top of covid here are these people having to deal with a mudslide or the weather um and it's just it's hard it's really really hard so i'm super grateful that way just knowing that in that situation but it's hard to to watch and kind of how how overall have your kids been doing how how has it been just you know and, and i will yeah. tell you that I, I i have some i have some friends that i'm really close <laughs> with that their school is doing the same thing that they're making you do so the kids are virtual but they have to go to their classroom to teach and it's there mm -hmm. they they feel about the about it the same way you do but overall how how have the kids been how have things been you know, kids are resilient man like i love my kids they're like I'm glad they're showing up. They're showing up on Zoom like, like all extra, ready to go, like super energetic, um, keeping me honestly um, in it. Like there's days where you know, like you work up, you don't want to be on Zoom. Like it's just not the same. It's super hard, right? Um, and for whatever reason, they're just like wanting to see me, wanting to see the rest of the kids, um, and they're making it a lot more fun. Um, just because of their energy and their like eagerness to learn. So overall, they're doing fine. I just feel bad for like, you know, those kids that need the love, like the like the, the touch. They need the in your face like hugs. They need the like the teasing. They need to like you playing outside with them on the court. Like they need the one on one. And I, I just really feel for those kids because I know that their learning expectations would be higher. Um, I could push them a little bit harder. Their growth would be more, um, and just like socially and emotionally, like those kids are building these skills, like to how to be a friend and how do you talk to individuals um, and they're not getting that. So uh, I really feel for those kids a lot, but overall, man, kids are way better than adults. <laughs> you guys know that. Man, alive. I have been, yeah. I have been talking about this and I do want to get your take because I do appreciate that every morning when I wake up and go on my Instagram and I see your story, I get a reminder that today is a good day not to be racist. I, and it's got a heart and it's got your name signed to it. And I can count on that every day, but I mean, that's the craziest thing. People have asked me and people are talking about, do I worry about my kids and the access they have to social media? And I have said unequivocally that I am way more worried right now about adults mm -hmm. and the way they are using social media and the internet than I am kids. And I guess, man, I, I can't, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, what, from your perspective, being an outsider, the, the way the U.S. has played out over this last year, and especially in the terms of, you know, politics and, and 
social justice and and racial injustice you know what what does it look like from your outside perspective because i know you have a lot of conversations and um you know we're we're really looking forward to talking to you a little bit about your podcast and that coming back but from an outside perspective what is it what does it look like you know it's i don't know i think i've heard you guys say and i've seen you write about it it's just one of those things like it's it sucks that it is taking like the lives of people for people to like wake up to racism like and that's just it like why does it have to be like a life for people to now all of a sudden like want to like think about the idea of not being racist um but on top of that it's like every other country as well like canada in itself which where i'm from is like personally like one of the most racist places like ever it's just so ingrained in the systems it's like they're not necessarily killing people or like killing black bodies all the time like america is but like in canada like they are constantly holding people of color back all the time and it's been like that it's been ingrained in the system forever so now all of a sudden where you're seeing like people wanting to create programs wanting to help i just wonder like but one, why did it take so long? Um, and number two, like, are those programs out of good heart, like actually because you want to make change or it's because like now you're just checking off a box. So those are the things that I like, kind of go through my mind, just like, yeah, you're doing it within like this time frame because it's convenient for you, but now all of like, what happens like 10 years from now? Is there more programs? Does that program go away? Like, I don't know, it's really hard to, honestly wrap my head around and i like taking myself out of workshops stop talking about it um with other people stop answering dms because it's just like for one it's time consuming and i just i'm tired i'm like extremely tired of having the same conversation over and over again with people specifically who are just like oh my gosh like can you give me a book recommendation or like it's like really like now all of a sudden you are interested in like these kids who have always been feeding for your help. Um, so on the outside, honestly, it's just, again, it's, it's a struggle to be honest. It's a struggle. You know, and, and I, I, and, and I've heard, um, uh, tip, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but like Liz Kleinrock and a couple of the other, um people like that are kind of in that cir circle talking about the same about how difficult it is to be answering people's dms all the time and and how um time consuming it could be for people to automatically like look at you and say oh i can just ask him i can't count the number of times I've seen Liz on her Instagram story put, Hey, when you're, before you send me a DM, take the time to look, to look, take, take the time to, you know, look around and, <laughs> yeah. and do those kinds of things. But, you know, for me, where we live now, my wife and I, my school was only like four or five miles from where George Floyd was killed. Like shortly I was on campus, like, the Tuesday or Wednesday after that, like just because I was doing a few things and they put out a page that said, if you 
have what you need done, we would like for you to leave because the protests and, and kind of the destruction were starting to work their way down towards my school. And, you know, I had students who live in Minneapolis at my school who, you know, that's their block. Like that's where they live, where all of that rioting and all of that looting and all that crazy stuff was happening. And it just, it was, you don't think of Minneapolis, Minnesota as a cultural turning point. You didn't, I would have never expected that that would have been a place where there was such an important event was going to happen that was going to change the course of, you know, of our history. And for me, looking at it too, like I come from a very conservative, a very rural background, and I still am associated and acquainted with a lot of very rural people. So I, I think for me, I've had to struggle with who do I say what to and when? You know, like what is, and, and I've asked Will a lot about this, like what is my responsibility to correct people that are from my town who've never even met a black person? And they're talking about rioters and looters and these people protesting and Black Lives Matter. And, and it's been such a, it's been such a, uh, an interesting thing to think about for me. And it's been really heavy to think about like, man, what's my responsibility here? You know, and, yeah. and I can't imagine, you know, looking at the two of you guys, what, you know, the weight that the two of you carry. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break from this episode of the Value Adds Value podcast to just say thank you um, for listening, and for all the support. And if you've listened this far, we would love it. If you could hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, leave a review, or jump over and find us on Instagram at valueadsvalue at its.will.law.iii and at its Kyle Krieger. Um, we would love to connect with you there, learn more about you and how we can help you in your teaching craft and your teaching practice. So find us on Instagram, like and subscribe, and also take a second to find us on youtube at value adds value as well so just a way for us to connect with you serve you better and help you in this profession that we all love so thank you and we'll get back to the episode you know it's funny but you know i i just this whole year that's probably the the stain of this year but I can't even say it was is this year because just like you said, Gary, it's this is the same conversation and the same fights that my dad fought here in Houston. You know, it's the exact same story that my great grandfather, you know, when he was down in Matagorda County, when they were having to run from the lynch mobs, it's the same story. And at what point does the story do we do we do we rewrite it? Well, you, you can't rewrite it, but in order to 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 start a new chapter, you got to end the chapter you're in, and that takes dealing with a lot of the issues. You know the the ingrained, like you say, the ingrained marginalization of a people for years, decades, for centuries. 
and now still holding on to it, you know, and it just it just bewilders me because I, you know, as a hip hop head, I'm saying to myself, if you take us away from the fabric of America, America looks totally different. America looks different right now. If you take all of the Africans, all the blacks that were here, all the black natives that were here, take them out of the fabric of America, and America looks different right now. And I can't say for the better. You know what I mean? So it's like, so at some point we have to have that kind of reckoning that you're, 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 we're good for something, but you're claiming we're good for nothing. You know, and I misspoke earlier when we were talking about it uh, yesterday um, about the guy, the little boy in Ohio. I said Trayvon Martin, but it was Tamir Rice, the little, you know, 14-year-old boy. Actually, I think he was 12, 14 at the time he, he was yeah. killed. Um, playing with a toy gun. But then you got Kyle Rittenhouse, another 17-year-old who can walk down the streets of Minnesota with an AR strapped across his chest and not get stopped. Put my nephew, let me take my nephew and put Darius walking down a minute oh Minnesota God. street. He would be killed. He'll be shot almost instantly. So Just, why is there why is there such a big difference in how we view things? Darius is a dean's list student at, at, at the at Tarleton University, dean's list student, student athlete, super intelligent. Wouldn't wouldn't really hurt anyone if you're not as long as you're not going against him. He's not a violent person, but he has that perceived violence because of his skin color. And I think we 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 as as humans we got to be we got to be far way way beyond that right now we have to you can't even get to my content because you're looking at my cover you can't even get to my content and i think because in a lot of the powers to be minds all over the world they understand and and and, and excuse me for saying this and, and and i don't want anybody to get our listeners to get upset we're just Three, 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 three bros having a conversation. Y'all are just eavesdropping on it. Um, but I think the inherent greatness that is in the people of African descent, the inherent greatness that came out of Africa is one that society wants to hide and mask because it doesn't want people to wake up and realize that despite what they told you, your history does not start with Europeans. You know what I mean? You, 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 they don't want that conversation to be had. I mean, the Vatican's hiding things. You know, it's been stated that there are things that have been written that's being hid because it contradicts the story that they're telling as a narrative. And unless you want the truth to be told, we're going to keep going back and forth and doing this thing because it, it, that's their only way of subjugating us. You know, they cloud us with the foolish music. You know, and again, I'm a hip-hop head, but hip-hop, when it started... It's not like it is today. You know, I go back to Biggie. When Biggie said, you know, after I did my first album, I was going back in the studio. He said, I couldn't wrote, rap about being broke anymore because I, I'm not broke. You know, Jay-Z said, I can't write, rap about going out here chasing women anymore because I have a queen on my side, so I can't do that. So you have to evolve. And I think a lot of our music is not evolving. And the picture that it's painting for society is that this is all they are. 
That's the picture that is painted. And so many people are buying that picture. I agree. It's so funny. I just finished listening. I read I read Stamp and then I looked at uh, I listened to the audio and that's exactly what like literally that's exactly what it talks about in the book. It talks so much about like how writing, music, culture um, is influenced one way and then how it's looked at as another. Um, and looking at how literature plays such a role in how we think and how we walk about the world is such a I think it's such a powerful tool to use in the classroom in itself because I think kids know that writing can be powerful, but not to the extent of where it's like literally, it's literally why the world is the way it is today. It's because of literature. Like, and I don't think kids, and, I, and of course they're young and it will take like on some unpacking, but like the power of literature in itself and how it like really influences the world is something I think all kids should be definitely trying to dive into because you said it will like of course they're going to the powers that be they're going to put in things within the world that they're going to that they know is going to influence in a certain way right they're going to make sure that one part of the world or one group of people look a certain way based on what they put out there um it's yeah i 100 agree with you and, and, and you can look back to the historical nature of the slave trade and slavery in the United States. People that owned slaves knew the value of education. They knew the value of being able to read and write and to pass down their stories. Why do you think it was kept from them? Like that's a huge part of slavery and even even not even in slave times, it was you know, throughout our U.S. history, education has been kept from people of color. And, and we were talking with, with uh, some friends this morning for another podcast, and she was talking about uh, they live in Phoenix, or they, she teaches in Phoenix. And she teaches at a very privileged school, and the superintendent of their school got death threats and was being stalked and needed police protection because they moved to virtual like their kids were getting beat up at school because of the parents decision and the superintendent had to resign because these privileged people who have always had education expect it. and it just like blew my mind that that's the situation that not just how bad it is for people of color but how entitled white people think they are to all of these things that have been kept from so many people. And they've been, you know what? And I've told both of you this a hundred times. And I've said this a ton this year on the podcast. Wilkie is my true first really close black friend. And I can, and I can remember, and I describe it as hearing Wilkie's stories was the first time it really got, to my heart to where I, I, I could picture it. I could see Wilkie as a teenager getting stopped by the cops and knowing that when you got stopped, you just sat on the curb and you took your punishment or whatever it was. Like I could take that back to my teenage years where all the police officers in my town knew who I was. And if I would have gotten pulled over and I never would have gotten a ticket 
and me and my friends, you know, we're teenage boys. We do dumb, you know, we were doing dumb shit. But we never were really like ever fearful of what would happen if the cops came or, and, and I think that's all well and good too, but until you can really picture it in someone else, I mean, that's been the turning point for me. And really, I can say since we've connected with you and been friends with you, I've been turned on to books that I never knew existed. I primarily take my reading list when it comes to social justice and, and racial equality from your Instagram. I've read, if you're reading a book, I promise you I've read most of them just because I trust in your experience. And, and if you're telling me that this is an important book to read, then I'm going to read it because I have that connection to you where I'm like, this is a person I trust. But even still, as a white man, I still have moments where I get fearful. If I'm in downtown Minneapolis where I'm like, oh, is this a sketchy street? Is this this or is this that? And I had moments of it when I was in Houston where I'd be like, oh, should I be down here? Should I not be down here? And there was nothing to worry about ever. Like Houston, Minneapolis, everywhere is filled with mostly good people. And I've never, the people of color that I've met in my life that I've been close with have never been anything but amazing to me. I don't know how many times I've had the motherly black woman in my time in Houston, take me under her wing, cook me meals, do stuff like that. So, I mean, for me, and I guess maybe this is a question for you, but how, without, without having to bother the Gary Gray juniors of the world, how do people like me that are never around people of color get the experience or even start to believe? Cause I know there are people that don't believe that the experience the two of you talk about is actually the way the world is. Yeah, I think honestly for me, I, when people ask that question, I think I often just go back at them and say, what do you think? To be honest, I like, I love allowing people to just like sit with that, like discomfort and honestly letting them do their own digging. I think for the most part, like you've done a lot of like reading is obviously really, really important. Um, but like just listening, I think listening to stories is, is just like so important, whether that's through whether that's through a novel, whether that's through a picture book, whether that's through a YouTube channel, whether that's through a movie. Um, I think listening to stories is, or it's just something that could be really powerful. But like sitting with that discomfort, I think allows you to really do your own digging. Um, and it takes the weight off of people like me and Will, like trying to figure out like what's best for you, what's best for people that are on their own journey. I think it's, it's really hard to give a straight answer because you don't know. Like, I don't know. I really truly don't know. Um, but things that have helped me because we all have our biases and we all have racist tendencies. And for me, it's just literally listening to more stories um, and taking myself outside my comfort zone and, and really trying to read people that sometimes that don't look like me, um, listening to their stories. Um, having conversations with people. I, I use Philippines as an example. Like, I can easily just stay in my bubble if I want to and just talk to people within our school. But we have um, teacher assistants, reading specialists that are specifically from the Philippines. And I try my hardest um, to 
get to know them outside of like the work that they do. So like genuinely ask about family, ask about tradition, ask about how things work here. Um, and I think that in itself has allowed me to just see like, it's so much more than what people think on the outside, um, on the outside world. And they've given me book recommendations. They've told me people to follow online. But I think it's a lot of just sitting with your own discomfort, to be honest, um, and trying to figure out what your journey is going to look like. Um, because it is a journey. It's just something that you are going to be on for the rest of your life, really. Um, and I said, well, do you, what do you think? Because I know you've gotten the question as well. It's you a- know, I, I think it, it's... I think you're right as far as you just got to be a part of the conversations. You know, I don't want people to get the idea that you have to go out of your way to say, I, I, I have a black friend or I have a Hispanic friend or, you know, you, we have to get beyond that. But the way our world and our society is set up, there's something as simple as having a conversation with someone. You know, I, I tell the story a lot about being in college and uh, a guy who we had watched the entire semester who had swastikas tattooed all over his body. Um, and we had our own pre- prejudices about who he was and what he represented. Um, and one day, I think it, it must have been a weekend or a holiday and, no, and everyone had gone home out of the dorm. It was very few people in the dorm. And he was in there at the pool table by himself. And I just walked up and said, hey, man, you want to play a game? And he said, yeah. And from that moment <laughs> until, I mean, that that chance encounter of us being in that dorm and no one else being around led to us developing a true relationship with one another. Uh, and, you know, I, and I often, I tell Kyle, I say, I believe that his interactions with me is what changed his ideologies because he was going along with what he saw at home and that's what he thought he should become versus being your own person and letting your own personal experiences. You know, I can't judge every single cop just because of the bad cops that patrolled our neighborhoods when I was a young kid. You know what I mean? I I can't say that every person is going to treat me the way my sixth grade math teacher is going to talk, you know, treated me. So I'm going to automatically be prejudiced toward that. So I can't put that on you and you can't say, oh, just because Will had an experience that that's going to be my experience. I have to let every experience play out itself. And I like what you said with that sitting with your discomfort, because it is a little, you know, I can't say that when I walked up there that it was like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go ask him to play. No, I was like, man, do I go ask this dude to play this game? I want to play pool. You know, I'm bored. He's bored. You know what I mean? That whole, and even having the conversations about, man, can you explain to me about these tattoos? You know, he he introduced me to music that, that I never would have listened to um, because it's it's just straight up racist music. And it's, I didn't think they made music like that anymore. You know what I mean? And this was like, in, say, in the, in the mid, early, mid-90s, 94, 93, 94. And so I, I think that as, as people encounter others who don't look like them, don't let the fact that they don't look like you keep you from developing a, if nothing more, a cordial relationship with them. 
you know, of being nice, saying hi, of greeting them without your preconceived notions. You know, I, I hate when people look at me in one way and then they're like, oh, I thought you were gonna be like this. You know, I figured you would be like this. You dress like this, you do this, you do. But you don't, why not take the time to get to know me? And, and again, you can read all the books in the world, but if you really wanna, you really wanna have that experience, then you have to engage with those people and have those conversations. You know, you gotta find a circle of people who are going to, number one, be honest with you. You know, my wife and I just had a conversation about privilege. And I say, you know, everybody has experienced some level of privilege, but not everyone has experienced that, that, that bit of disadvantage. You know, I grew up in what most people say a disadvantaged you know, environment, single parent home. There was five of us. My mom worked. You know, we all started working by the time we were 14 years old to try to help make sure that she didn't have to do too much. You know, all of those things were, were disadvantages, but there were some advantages that I had that most people didn't. My grandmother was one of the state mothers to one of the largest churches on the planet. And so that meant whenever I went, my last name alone got me into places and got me out of trouble and got me to get certain things that I probably shouldn't have gotten. That's privilege. You know what I mean? That's privilege. And because I can recognize it as privilege, I can also recognize the disadvantage. But I think a lot of people, they recognize the privilege, but don't recognize the disadvantage. And that's where the conversation has to start. You know, I told my wife, you were privileged. You were a black girl growing up in the hood in Houston in the early 80s and 90s. And you had both your parents at home and they both had full time jobs. Y'all are like Richie Rich, you know what I mean? Y'all, <laughs> that in, in the minds of everybody else, because that was not the experience for everybody in your neighborhood. I know because I went to school with them. You know, most of them were struggling with single parent homes. You know, some of them were living with grandparents or living with aunts and uncles. So I think it starts with recognizing your privilege, but then also recognizing the disadvantages that others have encountered because they did not have that privilege. All right, fam. Thanks for checking out part one of this conversation with our guy, Gary Gray Jr. Um, if you don't follow him online at Gary R. Gray Jr., Instagram, Twitter, must follow the stuff he's putting out. He also has a podcast that's called um, The Gray Area Podcast, and it's called It's Personal. Unbelievable. He just uh, started season three um, this week. So please get out there and listen to that. Subscribe to that. But otherwise, um, we hope you have a great week. Happy Monday. And uh, we'll catch up with you later this week for a few more episodes.